Hey there, everybody. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to go ahead and offer the usual disclaimer. As the name would suggest, I'm just an average guy. I'm not a theologian, and I have no Bible degrees of any sort. The topics covered in this podcast are the results of my own study and understanding, and any and all opinions expressed are just that, my own opinions. I encourage everyone listening to treat this not as an end-all be-all for your understanding, but as a jumping-in point for your own study. I hope that the verses and perspectives provided inspire you to cultivate further growth in your spiritual walk. Now with all that out of the way, let's get into the episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to An Average Account of Exceptional Things. My name is Chandler, and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. Now you know, before we get into the episode, we've got to do a little bit of housekeeping. Welcome back to part two of our month-long series on the armor of God. If you haven't listened to part one, I would highly encourage you to just hit the pause button, go back, and give that a listen. Then come back to this episode. These episodes will build on each other to some degree, so I think it is beneficial to hear them in order. If you're still here, I'll assume that we're good to go. Just like last episode, I do want to start out by reading the scripture that the armor of God comes from. It's going to be Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now last week we discussed the belt of truth, which is crucial as the foundation of our armor. This week, we will move right along into the next two pieces of the armor, which are going to be the breastplate of righteousness and, as shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're just going to call these the shoes of the gospel, for reference sake. And that's not to detract from the full line of scripture given there, it's just for discussion purposes. So first things first, the breastplate of righteousness. Let's start by defining the word righteous. Righteous means acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. And from this we get the noun righteousness, which is the quality or character trait of being righteous. So just like we did before, we will be discussing what each component is, why it's so important, and then some ways to carry that knowledge into application for our everyday lives. Since we have a bit more to cover today, We're going to be discussing those first two components together, which I feel works pretty well as they tend to go hand in hand. You know, what it is and what it does. 
So getting back to our first piece of armor for today, let's discuss the breastplate of righteousness. There is a very good reason that the physical component of the breastplate is paired up with the spiritual quality of righteousness in Paul's writing. The purpose of a breastplate in a physical battle was to protect the wearer's vital organs, whether that was from an incoming strike from a sword or an inbound projectile, say like an arrow. Now, I feel comfortable saying that most of us can probably visualize some kind of breastplate in our minds. They were generally quite stout, very tough, and for good reason, because the stuff behind that breastplate is essential to living. Why do people on a SWAT team wear a bulletproof vest instead of just throwing on some bulletproof boots, or donning a pair of bulletproof shoulder pads? Well, that's because, first and foremost, they need to protect the vital organs. A physical wound to your foot or your hand is a lot less likely to kill you than one to your torso. So what does the breastplate do first and foremost? Well, it protects from fatal blows. So why is that so fitting that righteousness goes alongside the breastplate? Well, donning Christ's righteousness protects us from the fatal blows of the enemy. You'll notice here that I very specifically referred to the righteousness of Christ, not any other righteousness. We've referenced it here before, but I will cite it again. Isaiah chapter 64 tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So I want you to do something with me. Imagine walking into your kitchen. You grab an old, worn-out, nasty dish rag and then just take a little bit of duct tape and stick it right there on the front of your shirt, and then head into battle. Are you feeling good about that armor being able to protect you? This is a visualization of the reality of what we are doing spiritually when we think that we can be righteous enough on our own to survive our spiritual battles. When you look at it like this, it seems absolutely foolish to think that we could make it on our own, works or our own righteousness. If you don't believe me, check out episode 6, a very compelling and more thorough case supporting our inability to be righteous on our own is made in that episode. So when you accept the free gift of salvation, you are justified. That means that God's perfect righteousness is poured out over you, and it protects you from the would-be fatal attacks of the enemy. Next, we're going to read some more scripture. This time, we're looking to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's going to be verses 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the wonderful part about this. It's no longer about your own righteousness. You just went from filthy dishrag armor to a perfectly fitted, fully protective breastplate. All of Satan's attacks that would have been fatal spiritual blows now fail to hit their mark. And you may have come through a battle a little bit worn, but the enemy will never be able to prevail. Once we receive that righteousness that covers our own pitiful attempts at being righteous, we are sealed. 
There's no attack that comes our way that will keep us from surviving through to the other side of that battle, because God is protecting and delivering us to the other side. I think that this also supports the doctrine of not losing your salvation, because to assert that someone could be saved and then lose that salvation would imply that there's something powerful enough to prevail against God's saving power. What sin is so big that God can't forgive it? I do my best not to put limits on God, so in terms of that aspect of it, my answer here is that there isn't a single sin that is greater than God's power to forgive and wash it away. You're welcome to disagree with me on that, but I do think that this is a fair point and it was worth bringing up during this discussion. Now, for the shoes of the gospel. Now it's time for a little history lesson here. In biblical times, the Roman soldiers would often wear a particular type of shoe, which were designed not only for comfort, but also for stability. These shoes had spikes on the bottom, which helped the soldiers dig in and stand their ground during battle, similarly to how a sports cleat helps modern athletes dig in, only these were stronger and a little more aggressive. When you read the words, Gospel of Peace, in the original scripture, you may be thinking, well, what does that mean, the gospel of peace? Well, the word gospel actually means good news. So when you hear someone talk about sharing the gospel, that's referring to the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. All this to say, Christians can find peace in the comfort that we have accepted salvation and have been rescued from our sins by Christ's perfect sacrifice and forgiveness. Romans 5.1 affirms this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do the shoes of the gospel of peace do? For starters, they help us stand our ground. Just like those battle shoes of the soldiers described just a moment ago, that good news of peace strengthens us so that we can dig in and stand with strength and boldness when we feel like our enemy might overpower us. Just like a heavy rock in the middle of a stream, that peace can then give us stability to stay stationary when it seems like temptation and hardship is constantly bombarding us. Secondly, they allow us to advance in spite of adversity. We can have peace knowing that God's going to deliver us through whatever spiritual battle we're facing. Even if that doesn't happen in the way or at the time that we would like for it to. Now, knowing that and grabbing a hold of it can allow us to continue pushing forward during the tough times. And I am well aware here that is definitely easier said than done when you're in the midst of battle. Now, lastly, these shoes of the gospel comfort us. Now, you may not have expected this after the last two, but I feel like it would be a disservice to overlook this aspect. A good shoe is comfortable. Whether you're a hiker, a runner, or just an everyday person, you know how important that is. And for most of us today, comfort is the number one thing that we look for in a shoe. I can't speak for you all, but personally, it's very high on the list. Well, these shoes provide the best kind of comfort. They don't just comfort your feet, they comfort your spirit. This is supported in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. During tribulations, we can find that the ultimate comfort and security is in that peace that is rooted in our faith and the knowledge that God loves us, hears us, and watches over us. And now we've reached that part of the episode. Everyone's favorite part. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. It's my favorite part, at least. How do we apply this to everyday life? What does all of this mean in the most practical sense? Well, in terms of the breastplate of righteousness, the first step is something we've already touched on. We have to recognize and accept that our works are not sufficient to make us righteous. We should, however, seek after God's righteous ways as the result of a changed heart. Again, I will refer you to our full discussion about this in episode 6. Now, we want to strengthen and build up that righteousness in our lives by working to draw closer and closer to God. This is a process called sanctification. Now, I feel like I've used this term a lot, and I do want to assure everyone there will be a full episode on this topic of sanctification eventually. I'm hoping to bring in a special guest host for that episode, and once the details of if and how that will work are settled... I hope to bring that to you all. But here's a very tangible example of how we can strengthen that righteousness in our lives by drawing closer to God. We're going to find it in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, there's a lot of wonderful advice here, something that I think that we could all take into our daily walks, but from this we can very easily see that our anger does not lead to the righteousness of God. It says it very plainly. So if we're seeking after more of that righteousness, we should try at every opportunity to avoid that road of anger. If you hop in your car and you're trying to get to the destination, you're going to want to take the road that you know leads there. If there is another road, and you know it's not going to lead to where you're trying to get, why would you take it? The same is true here with anger and seeking after God's righteousness. We should seek to stay on a road that does lead to our end goal, rather than opting for one that doesn't. Additionally, we should ensure that we have the correct mentality about our spiritual armor. Yes, that breastplate of righteousness protects us from the fatal blows of the enemy, but let's be smart and strategic when we're fighting our spiritual battles. Don't just walk out into battle haphazardly thinking, oh, I have the breastplate on, so I can just do whatever I want with no worries. Every day we are on the battlefield, and we are under attack from the enemy so we should think and act like it. I think we can see this exemplified in Matthew chapter 5, verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, I don't think that this is advocating specifically for someone to literally 
remove their hand from their body. But the point here is, whatever is leading to sin in your life, cut it out and cast it away. We all struggle with different sins and temptations in unique ways. If you struggle with an addiction to alcohol, for instance, don't place yourself in situations to be tempted more. Maybe your friends invite you to a bar, and they say, oh, we know that you're, you're struggling, we know that you're trying to get past this addiction. You don't have to drink. You can just come with us, you can sit around and talk and have a good time. It may not be fun, but don't make the easy, enjoyable calls. Because once you step foot through that door, you know that you're going to be more tempted to give in to that addiction. This is a part of human nature. The more barriers there are to partaking in a particular action, the less likely we are to do that. So let's put as many barriers as possible between ourselves and sin. Sometimes we have to make the hard, necessary calls to set ourselves up to stand strong and to win that battle, just like in a physical fight. I recently heard something that I thought was very helpful and very insightful from another man at my church. He said this, I have the choice to be obedient to God or be disobedient to God. But at the end of the day, I also know that God has the power and authority to make me obedient. So I would much rather be obedient to God than be made obedient to God. Because odds are that's going to be a lot more unpleasant, a lot less fun. Now obviously this stems from a heart that loves the Lord, that's seeking after his ways. But I thought that that was very helpful. And it's something that sparked thought and inspired me in my own walk. So then... Where do we turn when we feel pressured to go in the direction that doesn't lead to righteousness? How do we stand strong when we feel pressure from others around us? Well, the answer, we stand firmly planted with our feet in the readiness of the good news of peace. There's a financial advisor by the name of Dave Ramsey, and he has a quote that I think is very applicable here. Normal is broke. Why be normal? His point in saying this is that it's better for people to think that you're weird for taking the steps to set yourself up for financial success than to fit in with what others consider normal and then pay the price for it. I think the same is true in our spiritual walks. It's better to seem odd to those who view you in a worldly perspective than to fit in by making the easy or the fun call and turning from what you know is right. Having the steadiness of the gospel of peace allows us to find contentment in following God. And that's a powerful thing. It's the assurance during the times when we have to make the difficult decision, and it reminds us it's okay to be weird if that's what it takes to follow the Lord. In fact, if that's what it takes, being weird is the best way that you can be. When you take a deep breath, and accept that, you can press on with steadiness and courage. So some closing thoughts here. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you and provided some good food for thought. So far, we have discussed the first three pieces of the armor of God. The belt of truth, giving us a solid foundation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. 
Next week, we will be continuing on in our series with our next armor component, the Shield of Faith. So please join us for the next episode for some very exciting discussion about that. I'm looking forward to it quite a lot, and I hope that you are as well. With all that said, this officially concludes part two of our Armor of God series discussing the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace. Like I said at the beginning, I encourage everyone listening to use the topics covered in this episode as a gateway into your own study of God's Word. Hopefully one of the verses mentioned or perspectives offered has inspired you to dig deeper and further your understanding of who God is, and then take that understanding and apply it to your daily walk. With all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Count of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings.